This episode of Armchair Explorer is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. With seven drive modes, the Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. And epic journeys is what we're all about. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. In 2016, I just couldn't believe that humankind had not been to the bottom of four of our five oceans and that this was just something that needed to be done. Today we are diving into the unknown with Victor Vescovo, one of the greatest living explorers. We live on a blue planet. 70% of the Earth's surface area is covered by water, and yet the maps we have of the seafloor are less detailed than the maps we have of the Moon, Mars, or Venus. This story is about true exploration. And as they say in Victor's favorite show, Star Trek, daring to boldly go where no one has gone before. But first, welcome to the Armchair Explorer, where the world's greatest adventurers tell their best story from the road. My name's Aaron Miller. I'm a travel writer, and I am so excited to be here with you guys sharing this incredible story. And if you like what you hear, we have lots more ocean adventure episodes out there. Just listen to the end for some suggestions or check out our show notes. Please also make sure to subscribe to the show, hit that follow button, leave that glowing five-star review, follow me on social at Armchair Explorer Podcast, or simply tell a friend who you think needs some adventure and escape in their life. It makes a huge difference, so thank you for whatever you can do. Remember, we're also doing something new and really exciting. Every other week, between the regular Armchair Explorer episodes, we'll be releasing special documentary-style episodes recorded on location. This is as close as it comes to being there for real. So join us as we travel from the snowy mountains of Colorado to the dark skies of Joshua Tree National Park and beyond. So make sure to check out those as well. All episodes will be labeled on location so you know what you're getting. But for now, let's dive into the deep with Victor Vescovo, a man that Forbes called a walking bucket list of adventure on his boldest quest yet, diving to the deepest point of all five oceans on Earth. Are you ready? Let's go. Victor is a legend. In 2017, he became one of the only people in the world to complete the Explorer's Grand Slam, climbing to the highest peak on all seven continents, including Mount Everest, and skiing to both poles. Since then, he's gone into space, and as we're about to find out, ventured deeper into the ocean abyss than any person in history. In an age of civilization when so much of our globe, our history, and even our personal lives is mapped onto phones and computers, it's easy to forget that there are still a few places on our planet that remain untouched and unexplored. And the wildest of all of them is the ocean deep. Before Victor, no one knew the risks, the dangers, and even the wonders that lay in that dark, unexplored abyss beneath the water's surface. And that unknown for Victor was a beacon, a siren's call of adventure that couldn't be ignored. 
because that thirst for the unknown, that embrace of risk is written into his DNA. I think there's a lot of discussion about what makes certain people have a intense desire to explore. They think that there's a genetic component to it, that there are just some people that have certain dispositions, genetically even, but also upbringing, to seek more novelty, to be maybe a little bit more fearless and always curious about what's on the other side of that hill. But I absolutely think that it's an essential part of humanity to want to explore. Otherwise, we never would have left the caves or sharpened a spear to take down a mastodon and eat better. I think that there's a certain percentage of the population that has it more than others, but you probably need that percentage to help advance us. Maybe we're the expendable ones. As a young man, Victor was initially drawn to the sky, not the ocean. He became a pilot at just 19 years old and shortly thereafter started climbing the highest mountains on Earth and trekking to its most distant corners. But as he neared the completion of the Explorer's Grand Slam, his sights migrated downwards to something even more ambitious. In 2016, I just couldn't believe that humankind had not been to the bottom of four of our five oceans and that this was just something that needed to be done. And technologically, I thought we really needed as a species a craft that could take us to the bottom of the ocean repeatedly, safely, take scientists down and do all that and open up this incredible window into what is 70% of our planet, of which 80% is still unexplored. So half of the planet Earth is still completely unexplored, and yet all the attention seemed to be directed towards space and not the ocean. So this was my way of having a great adventure, of applying some resources that I didn't think were being properly applied and develop something technologically that I think we needed. Well, I think the reason that we need to explore the ocean, in particular the deep ocean, is because it's part of our world. It's part of the mechanism that allows us to survive. And just because we can't easily access it doesn't mean it's not important. It's actually crucially important. I think even just very recently, they're learning just how important the ocean is as a heat sink for all of the heat being generated through climate change and other mechanisms. And we can't really predict what will happen or learn about corrective measures unless we understand the mechanism of life on Earth, which of course is predominantly governed by the 70% of it that is covered in ocean. There had been only two other missions to the deepest point of the ocean. In 1960, Navy Lieutenant Don Walsh piloted a deep sea vessel to the bottom of the Challenger Deep, the deepest point in the Mariana Trench. And then in 2012, filmmaker James Cameron repeated that, breaking Don's record by just 10 feet but neither were able to make subsequent dives. The submersibles they built could only be used once, and as a result, they only reached the deepest point of one ocean. To reach all five, Victor would need a completely new kind of sub. It's a very small community which designs and builds deep ocean submersibles. There are only a handful in the world and only a handful of people that can do it. So John Ramsey, and his uh, colleagues were the principal designers of the craft, and he did not have formal training in how to design and build a submersible, but he's a savant, obviously. He's a brilliant mechanical engineer, and he was able to put together a design that took some of the lessons from the previous two craft that had gone to the bottom of the ocean, and we were able to do what all good explorers and engineers do, which is we stood on the shoulders of the great people that came before us, like those 
uh, individuals. And we made a submersible that in this case, unlike Jim Cameron's submersible, instead of having a steel pressure vessel for a single pilot, we used titanium, which allowed for two people to be in there. And while it was much, much more expensive, it allowed us to build a larger capsule for people while also being light. Then we also used syntactic foam, which is a material that doesn't compress under extreme loads, but maintains positive buoyancy. And then there were so many other small nerdy details involving electrical systems, hydraulics, all those other things that we just simply used the state of the art that had improved over the last 10 or 15 years to make the most robust vehicle that we could. And we designed it so that we could maintain it and take it down repeatedly in short intervals. The testing was extensive, expensive, and exhausting. Victor's engineering team was taking on what the book described as a Sisyphean task, creating a submersible that could not only make it to the bottom of the ocean once, but at least five times. They had no idea if it would even be possible. In their push to assemble a worthy craft, the team painstakingly transported their equipment around the world to various testing chambers and dive sites. They built a simulator in Victor's garage, hit dozens of deadlines and missed dozens of others, argued, despaired, rejoiced, and ground themselves to the bone. And finally, 1,429 days since Victor first had that idea, he climbed inside for his first solo test dive off the coast of the Bahamas. It did not go well. Headsets stopped working, control readouts were wrong, alarms went off, the craft's manipulator arms snapped. During one test dive, a cloud of smoke filled the entire cabin. Not a good feeling when you're trapped thousands of feet underwater. But despite the absolutely terrifying failures of the test dives, the team forged ahead to tackle the first of the five deeps and dive to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. They're never going to be perfect when you're dealing with prototype high technology. And that was a very, very tense time when we were off the Puerto Rican trench trying to do the very first dive. We still had a lot of things that weren't working well with the submersible. And it got to that point where I was just on the cusp of telling the team, you know, we're just not where we need to be. I need to put everything on ice for six months or a year. We need to go back to the drawing board on some of these systems and rework them. And that would have come at enormous cost and extreme difficulty with permitting and the crew of the ship and just would have caused enormous dislocation. But the sub team led by Triton and its leader, Patrick Leahy, they said, Victor, give us 36 hours. We think we can fix this. And they did. And so right before that dive, it was a calculated risk. But I said, okay, guys, I checked out the sub personally. I'm comfortable, but the moment anything goes wrong, I'm dropping the weights and I'm coming right back up. And it did take some risk taking, but that's my job. I actually hold an actual certification as a submersible test pilot, but I've been flying since I was 19. I fly helicopters, jets, I have a motorcycle. I'm used to interacting with complex machinery and you do that enough and they're not gonna do what you expect them to do sometimes and you have to real-time troubleshoot, but that's why you have a pilot or a driver. And I find that exhilarating, quite frankly. And I've had in-flight emergencies and you just go to the training and you solve the problem. And that's what good engineers and good test pilots do. It was a clear blue sky day. The sea had calmed, the forecast was good. It was now or never. 
He climbed inside the sub, which he'd named the limiting factor, sealed the door shut behind him, and descended into the inky silence. And we had an almost perfect dive to the bottom of the Atlantic for the first time. And that's, in many respects, what we said was the starting gun going off. We knew we had a system that was reusable that at that point went to 8,000 meters. And if you can do 8,000 meters, you can probably do 11. And so that was a great moment. Jim Cameron, who I have an enormous amount of respect for as a filmmaker, as an explorer, as a technologist, I incredibly respect the man. And we were corresponding quite regularly and even talked on the phone before I made my dive. And he did give me the specific advice of saying, you know, Victor, you can get wrapped up in your checklist and the things you want to accomplish scientifically, but you know what, just turn off the thrusters and really appreciate just where the F you are. He used a more colorful word. And that's what I did at the end of my four hour first dive. I turned off the thrusters. I just lightly drifted just along the bottom and I sat back and I ate a tuna fish sandwich. And it was the most exclusive little cafe in the world at that point, I think. And I just really took it all in and appreciated what the team was able to do and where I was and just felt so very thankful. When the limiting factor landed on the ocean floor and sent up a cloud of silt into the silent depths, that ungraspable dream that Victor's team had been chasing finally materialized. Victor was on the bottom of the deepest part of the Atlantic Ocean, in a place where nobody had ever been, floating in a landscape so silent and still that it felt more like the surface of the moon than any part of Earth. This episode of Armchair Explorer is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. And Pathfinder, that's a pretty cool name, isn't it? Because that's also what this show is all about. Exploring, getting off trail, having adventures, finding your own path and living life to the fullest. Sound like you? Yep, sounds like me too. Which is why I'm so excited to partner with Nissan. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has seven drive modes, available intelligent 4x4. It's got the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds. So go ahead and bring all that gear with you and lots more. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder, a vehicle built for adventures everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. The Five Deeps team had their craft, they had their pilot and they had proof, albeit a single test out of hundreds, that it was doable, that they could reach the bottom, come back and be ready to dive again four dives to go. But next up was the Southern Ocean, the frigid, raging waters surrounding Antarctica, where towering waves travel for thousands of miles and icebergs the size of countries carve into the strongest currents on Earth. It's the place on the old maps from the 16th century where the cartographers didn't know anything, so they would just put, here be dragons. And that is certainly what I think we experienced where we had 
ferocious weather, but it's always ferocious there. And there are icebergs and it's freezing cold and there's snow and sleet. And it was a big logistical effort to get everything ready to go to this completely remote place. I mean, if you think the Falkland Islands is remote, go a couple days east of there and you hit South Georgia Island, which is undeniably remote. Well, we kept going another week (laughs) to areas that no people should have business going there. And we had to bring our own doctor and we had to have everything we needed to fix anything because no one was gonna come help us out there. And we were able to do one successful dive in 30 days because the weather was over. And it was the, the first time we actually had a collision between the submersible and the ship and damaged the sub. And then on the dive itself, it was very eventful because we had some environmental conditions that caused it to be, let's just say, a very exciting dive for everyone. The days leading up to the dive were extremely difficult. The launch boat was a lonely speck in a frothing black sea with icy gusts of wind buffeting the deck and jagged ice dotting the horizon in all directions. The chop was so rough that crew members rolled out of their bunks each night, but Victor remained determined. What was amazing to me was just seeing how much food and wildlife there was, especially close to the surface. We had whales, we had penguins. It was like Grand Central Station that I just didn't expect in such a remote place of the earth, just how wildly abundant it was with life. And that was, that was very refreshing to see because I didn't expect that. But when I made that dive at about 4,000 meters, I went through something called a thermocline, which is a very deep area of the ocean where the characteristics of the ocean change and sound can't get through. So when I went through that barrier, I lost all communications with the surface. And the procedure that we had in place at the time was if I ever lost communications with the surface for more than 30 minutes, I was supposed to come back. But here we were in the Southern Ocean. We had no idea if we would ever get to come back and everything else was good with the sub. So I made the decision to keep going down. It was an insane decision. He was alone, 12,000 feet underwater in pitch darkness. The pressure at that depth is more than 400 times what it is at sea level. If anything went wrong, he would have no one to help him. The ocean would crush him like a tin can. But if he bailed, the expedition was a bust. Their window to dive the Southern Ocean was closing. This was his only chance. Not only was it an incredibly remote part of our globe, and it was very cold, but I had no comms with the surface. And this is only the second major dive I had done the submersible. So I wasn't completely comfortable with it yet. So I really did feel like Major Tom out there in God knows what part of the galaxy exploring by myself and not sure what would happen next. But that's an exhilarating feeling as well to someone with my temperament. But not for the crew above. As the minutes crawled by with no word from the sub, his team frantically tested dials, trying to radio him with no luck. Victor remained calm as he sank slowly through the darkness, his titanium enclosure cold and silent, falling into the abyss. And then suddenly, the altimeter read 23,000 feet deep and the seafloor slowly emerged as if peeking from behind a dark veil. It's really cool (laughs) to be the first person to any location on the earth, but also iconic places like the deepest point of an ocean no one's ever been to. And it's very exciting because you can watch the depthometer and you know pretty well how deep you're gonna be going because the sonar team has already mapped it. And when you get within about 150 meters of the bottom, you start prepping the sub to slow its descent and to get ready. 
you know, turn on the lights and test all the thrusters. So it's like an Apollo mission where you're trying to land on the moon. So you're getting everything ready. And then very slowly you start to murkily see the bottom and it's coming up and you don't know if it's going to be sandy or soft or if it's going to be rocky or if it's going to be hilly. You just don't know. And then sure enough, you start dropping a couple of small weights and you start slowing your descent and there's the bottom and you got there and you're still around and there's no major problems. And that means you're going to get to explore. And like a kid with a bike for the first time, you just take off in a direction and you start exploring, trying to cover as much ground as possible because you just don't know what you'll find. And I spent an hour on the bottom and then I came back up. And so, yeah, I got a stern talking to when I got back to the surface, but they realized the importance of what we had done. And we made new procedures for when we had no communications. But we achieved the mission and we not only dove to the deepest point in the Southern Ocean for the very first time, we identified it. No one had ever even mapped the South Sandwich Trench before, which is several thousand miles long. So we surveyed it, we identified the deepest point. And I'm very proud now that the International Hydrographic Organization in Monaco that keeps a list of all the deep ocean place names the deepest point in the Southern Ocean is now named the Factorian Deep after the submarine, the limiting factor. Because they had now proven that they could get there safely and back, there was some science to be done. But bad weather and an accidental collision between the sub and the launch ship put a stop to those plans. But scientific advancement remained a key goal for their subsequent dives. The ocean hides many secrets, and they hoped that the data they would gather in these vast and unexplored waters would begin to unlock them. And that's important. Microorganisms discovered in the deep ocean are already being used to develop new medicines for cancer, Alzheimer's, and more. The cells found on microbial mats at the bottom of the ocean may help regulate the amount of CO2 in the environment and lessen the effects of global warming. Scientists believe that it was in the deep oceans where the precise conditions of life may have first sprung. And if it could find a way here, at the most inhospitable place on Earth, perhaps it will work elsewhere too. By searching the alien world at the bottom of our sea, we may learn to detect the first alien worlds in the far reaches of space too. The unsung heroes of our expedition were the three robotic landers that would go down with the sub. And we would tend to drop them on separate scientific missions at different levels, like 3,000 meters, 5,000 meters, 7,000 meters. And that would give us a beautiful cross-section of the life forms at each of those different depths. And they're very different because the conditions are different. So we saw some amazing fish at you know three, four, 5,000 meters. We would see octopi. We would see even squid sometimes but just a wide variety of life. And then at the very, very bottom of these trenches, we would see much smaller life because the pressure and conditions are so harsh that large fish can't survive. But those are no less interesting, especially on a scientific basis. It's actually one of my favorite quotes that comes from, I think the Jurassic Park series, which is life finds a way. And it even amazed me, I would be down four hours in the sub to the bottom of some trench and there would be these tendrils of bacteria and small amphipods living like that was completely normal for them. And I was the alien, but life always finds a way. During his slow descents into the murky depths, witnessing otherworldly landscapes never seen before by human eyes, Victor gained a unique perspective. 
Through the tiny viewing windows of his sub, he saw the resilience of life. Even here, even in the darkest depths where no human could survive, life finds a way. And ironically, the challenges leading up to their third dive in the Indian Ocean were entirely man-made. What shocked me was just how difficult it was to get permissions from all the various governments all around the world to dive on a pro bono and scientific basis to these trenches. It was a real tragedy that I discovered that countries and their bureaucracies can be very paranoid and do not want to cooperate. And when you're talking about putting someone in a submersible that they don't know much about into what they consider their waters, big barriers can come up. And it's an enormous barrier to scientific exploration that I was stunned by. And it continues to be a very difficult issue where there are entire sections of the ocean that I have abandoned ever researching because it's so difficult to work with the local governments. And that was surprising, but it's something that hopefully over time people can have a bias towards just saying yes and not a bias towards automatically saying no, which unfortunately seems to be the case oftentimes. But with an approved launching point finally secured, the Five Deeps team proceeded with their third dive, the Java Trench in the Indian Ocean. The dive went smoother than it ever had before, like a ballet, one team member described it. Victor reached the deepest point with ease, and the limiting factor resurfaced with cinematic perfection beneath a flamenco sky. But now it was time to take on the most infamous of the ocean depths, the Challenger Deep in the Mariana Trench. Clocking in at an astounding 35,843 feet, if Mount Everest were placed inside, its summit would still be more than a mile under the sea. It was an extraordinary experience diving in the Mariana Trench, Challenger Deep, for the first time. That's like making it to the Super Bowl. I had already gone down 8,000 plus meters to the Puerto Rican Trench, and so this was about a third deeper, so we were pretty sure the sub could take it, and we had tested the pressure capsule of the submersible at 14,000 meters in the only facility in the world that could test it, which was in St. Petersburg, Russia. But the rest of the submarine had not been tested to that depth. So the batteries, all the interconnections, a lot of things had never been integrated and tested at the same time. So I didn't know if those might fail. Now, I didn't have major concerns for my safety because I knew as long as I was safe in the pressure capsule, I knew the weights would drop and I could get back home. But I certainly did, didn't want there to be a lot of, let's just call them nasty surprises with things imploding outside my pressure hull and all that kind of thing. And we did not send the submarine down unmanned first. The first dive to the bottom of Challenger Deep was with me in it, solo. And that was an incredibly intense experience. Captain Don Walsh, who was the first person to the bottom of Challenger Deep, he was on the ship with us. And he and I have become very good friends. I've actually taken his son down to the bottom of Challenger Deep as well. And so there was an immense amount of pride being with him where he made history in 1960 and then trying to do it more than once, which would have been a new breaking of a record. The whole crew was just amped up. The weather was perfect and it was just Unbelievable! I, I felt like you know, Neil Armstrong or Buzz Aldrin going into the, you know, the Eagle to descend to the moon. And I've been down to the bottom of Challenger Deep 15 times now, so I've been able to really investigate all its different corners, even though it's still very, very large. On one of my last dives, we went off kind of the beaten track in Challenger Deep, and we actually came across a vertical wall that must have been 100, 150 feet, almost 90 degree vertical, 
sharp rocks, and there we are in a submarine. But what was so fascinating is that this is a cliff, probably the deepest cliff on the planet, and no one had ever seen this. And you look at these rocks, you look at some of the organisms living in and around it, and it certainly felt like it was absolutely ancient, that it had been there a long time, or had been a very long time in the making. This so predates the pyramids as to make them look like modern history. And you just get that sense of awe and respect for this planet, how old it is, and how we are very temporary beings. But the Earth itself is very durable, very old, and yeah, it was just a great experience to explore in these new places and find them. It was here that Victor glimpsed the convergence of two tectonic plates mere feet from his submersible. Suddenly, the unfathomable forces that grow mountains, create islands, spewn from lava, churn the ground in earthquakes, and chisel reality into existence became clear. Forces that are ancient, unending, incomprehensible, and invisible in the mere flash of our lives. Here, in the deepest point of the globe, he found life, wonder, insight, knowledge. But he found something else, too. I thought that the big story when we dove Challenge Deep would be that we did it multiple times, and there'd be a lot of focus on that. But what everyone latched onto was the fact that we found plastic. And so they wanted to tell that story. But I think the thing that they also missed was the fact that microplastics are in every ocean and trench we've ever discovered. Only in about half the trenches I've dove in, and I've gone into 17 of them, have I actually seen physical contamination. In the other half, I haven't. But in all of them, we found microplastics. And that's the thing that people really need to realize is that plastics cannot get to the ocean or even get into a river. Once they do that, they're not coming out. They're going to start to break down and no amount of effort will ever pull this garbage out of the ocean and it'll get into the food chain. And even recycling, it's now becoming apparent, contributes to that because to recycle plastic, you have to chop it up and wash it. Well, you're going to get microplastics that way too and it's going to go right in the ocean and there is no stopping it. So that was the big story about ocean pollution. I think that there was great value in letting people know that even in this most remote part of the world and for the first time, I found human contamination at the bottom of Challenger Deep that had not been done on the previous dives. So I do feel like we made a positive contribution in people's awareness. Four out of the five dives were complete. And before long, they were traveling north again towards their one remaining dive in the depths of the Arctic Ocean. Unlike the other four oceans, the deepest point in the Arctic is not inside a trench, but rather at the bottom of a large and gaping hole. The morning of their launch, the air was frigid and the sea was choppy, but all systems were a go, ready for Victor to begin his final landmark descent. One of the great things about the way we structure the five deeps, because it was an iterative process, was the last dive was originally supposed to be at Challenger Deep, you know, the big bang at the end. But because of weather permits and technology and all that, the Malloy Deep, which was the shallowest of the five, ended up being the last one. But the benefit to that was that we were pretty darn sure it was gonna work. And therefore, we didn't have to focus on the technology, we could focus on the dive and doing stuff scientifically. So in descending solo to the bottom of the Malloy Deep, it was an amazing feeling because I got to really 
enjoy it because I knew that there wasn't huge uncertainty about being able to reach the bottom or not. And when I did, because it was shallower than so many other trenches, it was very rocky and there were lots of ledges and there was lots more wildlife. So it was much more dynamic than some of the other deeper trenches. So I got to the bottom and it was a great feeling of accomplishment. On the surface, Victor's team was waiting breathlessly for his message. And finally, crackling over the radio, it came. Surface, this is the LF. The LF has landed. And then, because he couldn't resist, he added, that's one small dive for man, one giant leap for ocean exploration. A lot of my friends were on the ship and we just got to enjoy the moment. And then when we finished, we went and went into the fjords of Svalbard and got to see polar bears and, you know, see the world and go on hikes. And it was just a magical time. And uh, I'm just so deeply grateful to everyone that helped make it happen. On board after the dive, the crew enjoyed one final celebratory meal as the sun set. Champagne, tears and stories flowed freely the air itself seemed to tremble with triumph and relief, as if everybody on board had been collectively holding a breath for years that they could finally exhale. They had dived into the unknown. They had risked it all and explored the last frontier of our blue earth. And perhaps there is a reason that it's the last frontier. To climb to the highest peaks is admirable and brave, but to dare to descend into the depths, to touch the abyss, is something else altogether. Here, there be dragons. The scientists believe that there are some core things about humanity that makes us not really comfortable exploring the deep ocean. I believe that children are born with two innate fears. One is the fear of falling and the other one is drowning. And so therefore, you know, the ocean is dark, it's opaque, it's often cold, it's stormy, it's so obviously powerful. I think there's a natural reticence to want to go into the ocean quite rightly because it's a very, very dangerous place. And so I just think that there are some psychological factors. The fact that you just can't see very far when you're in the deep ocean. In fact, the deepest part of the ocean is called the Hadal zone, 6,000 meters or, or lower. And that comes from the Greek word Hades, which means hell. We even named the deepest part of the ocean after hell itself. We did have a tradition whenever we dove the Challenger Deep in the Mariana Trench, we would Sometimes on a maintenance day, we'd dive off the side of the ship into what is the deepest swimming pool on the planet. <laughs> and just knowing just that there's 11,000 meters below us is kind of intimidating, but fun. The mere fact that you could be floating on the surface of the water with the Mariana Trench below you, just the concept of that depth of water below you and everything, all the monsters in it, gives people concerns. And yet we probably came from the ocean, our species and our development, so much of the planet biomass is actually in the ocean. More of it is in the ocean than on land. Josh Young, the author of Expedition Deep Ocean, opened the book with a quote. Knowledge of the oceans is more than a matter of curiosity. Our very survival may depend on it. And that is what true exploration is all about. There's been criticism that, oh, I'm just some rich guy that's going on some joy rides to the bottom of the ocean and just trying to break records. And 
yeah, I mean, it's nice to be recognized and I certainly have had an extraordinary experience doing that, but that doesn't mean it's exclusive to the other objectives, which were to make technological progress, to make major scientific advances, to map almost a full percentage point of the Earth's oceans, which we still haven't quite done yet. So that doesn't mean that uh, what people like me do is bad. If you didn't have ego or pride in what you do, you wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. What about all the old explorers like, you know, a Lindbergh or an Amundsen? Amundsen's one of my favorites that did these extraordinary explorations. They certainly had ego and, and they wanted to be the first or do this and that, but that's what propels us for goodness sakes. That's what propels all of us. And I think it can be harnessed in a very positive way, which is I think what we did here. My favorite explorer is Amundsen, who ran his expeditions so methodically with so much preparation. And that's how I modeled my own expeditions based on his processes. Jim Cameron, his expedition and the Deep Sea Challenger, we learned so much from his vehicle that I personally got to go and check out. And we learned from what happened with his craft and were able to improve our own. And then being with Captain Don Walsh, the first person at the bottom of the ocean, how did he mentally prepare himself for what he did? And he had a great quip when a reporter asked him how he felt now that you know I had broken his record for depth and repeated dives. And he joked, he said, oh, I cry myself to sleep every night. And that wonderful humility and acceptance that we're just a, a step on the path. And I can't wait for someone else to take deep ocean exploration technology even further and do things I haven't even imagined yet. I will feel very proud to be part of that chain. And while Victor has spent more time exploring than many of us ever will, he believes that every human is pulled by the same strings. We don't have to reach to the top of the highest mountains or dive to the bottom of the sea. We just have to summon the will to step into the unknown. So much that I have learned about exploration or just doing difficult things is just making the commitment. It really is. And people often ask me, you know, what's my philosophy of life or what's important and all that. And I keep coming back to the same thing. I believe the most important and powerful virtue a human being can have is self-discipline. And what that entails is just deciding to do something and then doing it. The human mind is incredibly powerful and human beings, I think, vastly underestimate what they can do. If they decide to do something and are willing to risk failure, but keep pushing, persistence can achieve so much. And so to all the explorers out there that want to push their own boundaries, buy that plane ticket, draft that plan that's a little bit outside your comfort zone, and then commit, commit to doing it, even if there are setbacks. And you will get there one day. And if you don't, you're going to have a hell of a ride trying. And that's, I think, a key lesson of life. We live in an uncertain universe. And if you just want to be safe and comfortable, you can live that life. But it's, I don't think it's going to be as a fulfilling one than if you take some risks. At the end of the day, if something doesn't violate the laws of physics, it is achievable. It's simply a matter of resources and execution. And I firmly believe that, and the Five Deeps expedition and the submersible we built helped prove that. doesn't mean it's easy, but it can get done. And it will involve failure, 
And so many people are terrified of failing that they don't even try. But I think that's one of the greatest things that people don't talk about the American culture is how embracing we are of failure. It's actually a badge of honor in many circles, and it's just an opportunity to learn more, where in many cultures, failure is a stigma. And I think that's why we continue to advance and are on the leading edge of so many advancements in humanity's technological progress. In 2019, Guinness World Records named Victor as the person who had traveled the greatest vertical distance without leaving the planet. But not being one to sit back and rest on his laurels, he then began to wonder, what if I did leave the planet? And that's how in June 2022, Victor, who had secured a spot on Jeff Bezos' Blue Origin NS-21 rocket, became the first person to personally visit Earth's highest points, lowest points, and the thermosphere. The three most intense experiences I've probably ever had have been going to the very bottom of the ocean, going into space, but also climbing Mount Everest. And all three are remarkably different but no less fascinating each in their own way. Going into space, of course, is just incredible in terms of its rapidity. I mean, it was a 15 minute trip, but you're on a rocket going at Mach 3 vertically, and then you're seeing the expanse of the earth. You're seeing the thin line of the atmosphere. You're floating in zero G, and before you know it, parachutes are opening and you're slamming back into the ground. It was just a roller coaster ride, just incredibly fulfilling and amazing. Climbing Mount Everest is dangerous and violent and just a mental and physical beatdown. It is you and the planet and the planet really trying to harm you and getting through that, but still seeing that view is also extraordinary, but very different, very physical. Going to the ocean is much more quiet, cerebral, mental. It's about technology and marshalling resources and just getting everything lined up just so to go into a place that if there's a catastrophic failure, you would be dead before you even realize it. And yet at the very, very bottom of the ocean, it just felt quiet, cold, and more than anything, ancient. So where we actually saw the tectonic plates in the Mariana Trench coming together, the Pacific Plate and the Philippine Plate, those are some of the oldest rocks on the planet that you can access. And seeing the actual little V where they are colliding in my submersible, just a couple of feet off that. And seeing that just made me feel so small in the geological time frame that that exists in. And it felt very humbling, but also very special that I was able to look at it and see it. So the three experiences in some respects encapsulate all that you can do in experiencing the world from the cold and the ancient in the ocean, to the violent and the dangerous in the mountains, to the absolutely spectacular and expanse of the space. So I just feel very fortunate that, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm the first person to ever do those three things. We live on a blue planet, yet we have barely begun to uncover the secrets those depths still hide. But searching for them is what defines us as humans and what has carried us so far. We are explorers, all of us, curious to see what's beneath the next wave. And it is people like Victor who remind us that the Explorer's Code is written into our DNA. They hold up a mirror to show us what we can achieve. The secrets of the abyss are waiting to be revealed. All we have to do is dare to look for them.
Thanks so much, Victor. Thank you for sharing your time and your amazing story with us and for letting us ride alongside you to the tops of the tallest mountains, through the stratosphere and down into the ocean depths where no person has gone before. There are so many more incredible details to Victor's story than we had time to cover today. So I highly recommend that you buy Expedition Deep Ocean, written by Josh Young. You can find it anywhere you get your books. And as always, we particularly encourage you to check out your local bookstore. You should also watch the docu-series about this expedition, which has some incredible footage from the embedded film crew that were along for the entire ride. That's also called Expedition Deep Ocean, and you can find that on Amazon Prime. Finally, follow Victor on Twitter, at Victor Vescovo, and you can learn more about his other maritime pursuits at CaladanOceanic.com. And if you're interested in checking out other ocean-themed episodes, we have some great ones for you. One of my favorites, actually, is one of the first I ever did with my friend, travel writer James Stewart, about cage diving with great white sharks on the ocean floor. It's called the Everest of cage diving. It's absolutely epic. We've also been surfing around the world with Captain Liz Clark. We went and visited the Titanic, and we interviewed underwater photographer Pierre Narendara about diving one of the most unique marine events in the world, South Africa's sardine run. It's on my bucket list. So do go and check those out. So thank you so much for listening, guys. And don't forget to share this show with your friends and connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Armchair Explorer Podcast. And also follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Hit that subscribe button. It just takes a moment and it really does us a huge favor because it helps us to keep producing this show for you. Thank you for whatever you can do. And don't forget to stay tuned for our new on-location documentary episodes that will be dropping every other week. And don't forget to check out aptpodcaststudios.com to find more of their awesome shows. So excited to be part of that team. So until next time, don't let anyone else tell you something is impossible and don't be afraid to journey where there be dragons because the more we look for wonder in the world, the more the wonder of the world becomes a part of who we are. Dare to be truly alive. This podcast was produced by Armchair Productions, the audio experts for the travel industry. Armchair Explorer is a part of APT Podcast Studios. Jenny Allison wrote and co-produced the show along with me, and Charles Tyree did the audio editing and sound design. I'm Aaron Miller. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.